I bring to you today grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Got a picture to show you. I think it's pretty amazing that anyone gets on a horse. I mean, average-wise, they're like 10 times bigger than the average human. Pure muscle that can squash you, potentially kill you in an instant. And yet, yet people ride them with ease. A young, I don't know, what, 13, 14 years old maybe? But they aren't just raw power. They are power under control. Power that's in the submission of the direction of its rider. Power that's used for purposes beyond what that horse would choose for itself for the good of another. We're coming, nearing to the end of our series in Dying Well, and we turn our minds today to power and how it gets used. And the picture of the, the horse and its rider has a lot of legs. Uh -huh. Okay, anyways, it has a lot of legs. Uh, when it comes to making sense of Jesus' directive about how to use power and how it should work in the kingdom of God, how dying well to power might look among the followers of Jesus. We've already come to understand the course of the series, and if you haven't had a chance to, to hear each of these, I encourage you to go back on the podcast or on YouTube. You can find it at holycrossgenison.org, right on the, the landing page there, uh, to catch these. But, but we've talked about how the abundant life of Jesus is a life of dying well to many of our natural inclinations. Uh, we're naturally inclined to avoid admitting that I'm a mess. And there's nothing I can do about it. We're inclined uh, as well toward arrogance and pride. We're inclined toward um, finding intellectually satisfying explanations for everything rather than living in faith. We've explored how abundant life is found in dying to our pasts, determining how we see ourselves in the present. We've learned that we need to die to where individual autonomy leads us, which is to instead embrace being wholly dependent on God like, like a little child. We've endeavored into all this because Jesus commands, directs, if anyone would come after me. Well, we've said this enough times. See if you can say it with me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, or loses his life for me will find it. We, we desire to follow, so we're aiming to die well, like Jesus did. And then the directive before us today, in terms of all things power, are Jesus' words recorded that were read just a minute ago by Katie, uh, Luke chapter 22, and I encourage you to open up your Bible and get there today, because we're going to come back to that a few different times, and I'm not putting those words up on the screen, so if you want to read along, uh, they'll be uh, in front of you there. So there's a pew Bible, if you got one along with you, if you have a digital version, all that works. Luke 22 uh, is uh, where we're going. Luke 22. So this was what was read just a moment ago, but I'll read it again for you. Also a dispute arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, 
The greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves, Jesus says. Now, I don't know what translation of the Bible that that you read. That was from the NIV. But there's another translation called The Message. People either love it or hate it. In this case, I love it. Uh, It's a a paraphrase uh, version, and I feel like it does a great job helping pull the pieces together on this. This is from The Message, uh, verses 25 and 26. I'll put it up there for you. Uh, Kings like to throw their weight around, and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. You're not going to be like that. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the leader act the part of the servant. This is what Jesus directs us to as we think about power and how it's used in the kingdom of God. And while I think he's pretty clear already, I think some context to this puts it in living color. So Luke chapter 22, you're you're in the Bible right now, so look back down at that. Go back to the beginning of Luke 22, you'll see that Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, that this meal that we'll have later on here, he's offering it here. In Luke chapter 22, he's talked about that there's one among us that's going to betray, and he offers them this meal, and I suspect, we don't know what the ensuing discussion was exactly, but after that comment of there's one that's going to betray, we know that they talked among themselves and were wondering, who is it? And it, I imagine something like, well, not me. I would never. And they start pointing fingers uh, around the room. Well, well, I'm more faithful than you, or I'm the more accomplished disciple. I've given up more than you. I've made more disciples than you. Uh, I have baptized more people than you. Or, or some might take another tack. Uh, no, I'm safe from it because my past is not as bad as yours. We all know that's wrong. Uh, Or they might say, like, no, my devotional practices are more consistent than yours, so I know I'm safe from betraying it. Who knows exactly uh, where that went, but we do know that it digressed to verse 24, where the dispute came among them, who is the greatest? Now, in between verses 24 and 25, where he gets on to tell them about not to be uh, like the rulers of the Gentiles, the commentators say that the events, uh, there are events that are not recorded in Luke, rather they're recorded in John. And I won't have you turn there right now. If you'd like to, it's John 13, but uh, you can make a note of that. In John 13, it happens between verses 24 and 25 in Luke, and that's verses about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So picture it. Uh, They're in this discussion. We know there's a betrayer among you. Now we're arguing with one another uh, of who's uh, who's the betrayer. No, 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 who's the greatest? And Jesus just steps off to the side, grabs a basin of water, and starts washing feet and works his way through. And Peter's like, no, you gotta, you gotta wash my whole body. And he's like, no, 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 we don't have to. You don't understand this all now, but you, you will later. And he, again, acknowledges in that text as well that there's a betrayer among them, and yet he washes his feet too. And after he gets done washing the feet there in uh, John 13, Jesus says this, uh, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I sort of wonder where the discussion of like, who's the betrayer and which one's the greatest, like how that sort of got quieted down. Do they keep bickering while he was washing one another's feet? They still talking on the sides about that or just, just hush them up altogether? So that when Jesus was done washing their feet and had said these things of John chapter 13, and then he talks about, you're not to be like the rulers of the Gentile, rather serve like I did. I'm among you as one who serves. Let the leader act the part of the servant. I just wondered how that landed after having the Savior just wash your own feet. What does that mean in real life for us day to day? What then does it mean to die to power, to to not be like the leaders of the Gentiles? Well, we can tell so far from what Jesus said. It's it's people who use their power for the sake of serving themselves. That They might uh, buy friends or gain influence or use it so that people speak well of them, even though they might not actually be well-meaning people. They, they want him to say, like, he's a guy that is for the good of others. Well, we know for, from Jesus, and as we put the Gospels together, to some extent it's washing feet, even of your enemies, and even of those that would betray you. It's to actually be good for the world rather than just be called good or thought of as good. It's to embody Jesus' servant-hearted, sacrificial life. But those are just kind of big fancy terms up here. Like, what does that actually mean in the day-to-day life? Just to put it in real lives with a real God breaking into our real world. Well, let me boil it down to you to one word. Instead of talking about what we shouldn't do, let me encourage you toward something. And I think this one word, this one character trait, one heart posture to aim at, uh, I put you here because I think it encapsulates the life that Jesus is calling us to when he calls us to die to power. And the word, and simple, is meek. Just that, meek. He's encouraging us to be meek. Now, I know uh, for many of you, as you think about this, like meek, that sounds like shrimpy, wimpy, useless, timid kind of meek. And this is not the meek that he's talking about. I mean, let me give you a few places where Jesus talks about meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's that kind of meek. Or this kind of meek. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek, same word, and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. It's how Jesus describes himself. Rather, it's also one of the fruits of the Spirit. Did you know that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, same word, meekness, and self-control. If I had to define meek, I'd, I'd put it this way. The picture of a horse we talked about already, a horse is meek. It is power under control. Uh, But meek also, to to flesh it out a little further, is like a soothing medicine. It provides just what is needed to bring healing and wholeness without harming. It is like a gentle breeze, like the opposite of a hurricane. Instead, that that welcome, pleasant presence uh, among uh, a group of people. 
We're to think about being meek in these ways. But before we can talk about uh, how that gets applied in things, I, we need to realize where we're living in terms of power in our own lives. Like, do I really have power? I don't know if I think of myself as someone that has power. Maybe that's where you're at. But l- let me help you think through a few categories. One, positionally, you may have power just simply because of where you are in the company, where you are in the classroom, whether that's a boss or a parent or a middle manager or, or just the person that's the most experienced one in the room or the more experienced one. Maybe relationally, you have power because people trust you, because people look up to you. Maybe economically, you have power because money enables you to do things that others can't do. How are you using it? Money also allows you to insulate yourselves from doing anything. How are you using it? Socially, we have power because of the neighborhoods or the cities that we live in. In some cases, uh, because of the color of your skin or your cultural heritage or the language that you speak or your gender, because of any of these things and many others, you might have access to or opportunity to do things that others don't. And it's just true. Now, many of that we can talk about as the brokenness of our world and things we wish weren't that way, but nonetheless, there's a reality that there are different sorts of opportunities for each of us based on where God has put us in life. Spiritually, we also have been given power. Power to forgive. Power of the, the Holy Spirit working us in us to be patient. Power to live as an authorized agent of the king of all, the ruler of all, to exercise his power for the sake of his purposes in the world. We're given spiritual power. And so for each of us in the different stations and seasons and uh, different ways we are positioned in life, this is going to look different for each of us. And on a day-to-day thing, it's going to look different for each of us. But the heart posture from which it flows is largely the same. So I'm going to direct us there because I feel like it speaks most universally to where we all might find this abundant life of Jesus that's dying well to power. And particularly, I'm going to help you see it in the life of a guy named Moses. Who's familiar with Moses? Okay, very good. The guy who parted the Red Sea, came through on dry ground, led the, the Israelites out, all that, that Moses. The one identified, uh, who, who knew this? He's the one who is identified as a very meek man, more meek than anyone else on the face of the earth. Who, who remembers that? I did not remember that. I, was, I discovered that in this. See, I love how Pete Scazzaro uh, brings this heart posture to light in the example of Moses. And so leaning on his insight, I take you to Numbers 12. Again, you don't need to go there, but you, you can if you'd like. But I'll bring us back again to Luke in just a little bit. The Moses uh, that we're talking about is uh, Moses' meekness. Uh, he's meekness in action. Numbers 12. The setting is after Moses has led the people of Israel through the Red Sea and into the desert and out on, uh, on that way, and they've been wandering in the desert for a long time, and people are beginning to wonder, are we ever going to get anywhere? And then his brother and his sister, Aaron and Miriam, come to him, and they're like, hey, Moses, uh, we are suffering, and we don't like it. 
We, and actually, we think we're hearing from God as well, and we got some things to tell you. And I don't know what, what else they told him. You know, maybe like, hey, Moses, maybe you're too old. Maybe you're lacking discernment. You've lost your edge. I suspect that, that uh, they maybe have thoughts of, like, this dude's an egomaniac and just is power-hungry and won't let anybody else lead. Like, I, I don't know where it goes exactly, but I suspect that as his brother and his sister, people whose opinions he uh, holds very highly are criticizing him. They, they feel slighted and slandered, criticized in, in the work that he's doing as he's trying to faithfully do this. And my encouragement to you this morning is if that was you and it's your brother and sister that's coming to you on behalf of this thing you're trying to do faithfully, how do you respond? Maybe explode in anger? Like, what are you guys talking about? Like, I'm trying my best. Like, maybe you say, fine, I quit. I'm out. You guys, you guys are so good at that, you do it. I'm out. Or you could do the passive aggressive thing and be like, fine, we're gonna do it your way and, and then get them later. Or you could, could you just hold a grudge and stay bitter, maybe, maybe give them the silent treatment for a while and just, just turn the knife wherever you possibly could with some sarcastic jabs along the way. But not Moses. No, Moses is a very meek man, more meek than anyone else on the face of the earth. And what does he do? He waits. He waits. And actually, not too much long, longer later, God's provision for him, God speaks. And God speaks to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam and says, hey, Moses, Miriam and Aaron, uh, Miriam and Aaron, you're wrong. I speak to Moses face to face, different than anybody else or any of the other prophets that, that I come to. And, and he's hearing me and he is doing the very things that I've asked him to do. So how dare you? And God goes away, and Miriam's left with leprosy, seemingly as a punishment for what, what they've done. Now, why Miriam and not Aaron? I, I don't know. But nonetheless, Miriam is here, and, and what now? So Aaron turns to Moses and says, hey, Moses, you authorized agent of the king. Can you pray so that Miriam would be healed? She's going to die. She's going to have to be put out of the camp. She's going to have to be separated from our family forever if she continues being a leprous person like this. And you know what Moses does? He tells her to stick it and uh, makes her live in it for a while. No, he doesn't do that at all. He doesn't make her suffer. Doesn't make her really feel the pain of the lesson. No. He turns to the Lord in prayer. Says, God, take this away. And indeed he does. She's healed. Now, before you put Moses too high on a pedestal, this is out of character to some extent for Moses. He did not learn meekness growing up. Moses was the baby pulled out of the river. That's his name, drawn out of the river. Moses means drawn out of the river. Uh, he was raised in the, the Pharaoh's palace with all the power and privilege that, that comes along with that. Uh, ends up uh, frustrated with another Egyptian that uh, is punishing or is being harsh with one of the Israelite slaves. So it's his people, Israelites, that are being enslaved in Egypt. And he gets mad at one of them that's uh, beating up one of his people. And he kills him. And then when he finds out that people saw it, 
He runs away, so he shirks his power. He kills somebody else. He's a, a murderer and a shirker of responsibility. Not great use of power. And Moses didn't necessarily learn it growing up. <laughs> Did you? Did you learn meekness from your parents? Or your coaches? Is that what was taught to you on the playground with the kids at school? Or was it more like the tough survive? Might makes right. Was it more like a, a parent that really wasn't going to listen to you, but was just going to push their way on you because they didn't have time to, to continue in this, so just, let's just go, come on, come on, and they just squash what's going on there. Meekness is quite foreign to us. I have yet to see it as a desired quality on a job application. You guys seen that? Like, top, top qualities needed for this position, meekness. I think it's the exception to the rule in a movie that the pinnacle moment is one person deferring to another for the sake of their good. Rather, it's the one that come from behind wind that, that ends up uh, winning it all and we celebrate the, the little guy who finally got to use his power and wasn't squashed. Yet this is what Jesus is calling us to do, to defer to another for the sake of their good. I wanna give you five qualities of what I think meekness looks like. Number one, meekness is someone who waits on God. It's still before the Lord. It's one who, when things don't go right, I mean, for you, when things don't go right, what do you do? I make it happen. I, I push things through, right? Or I get ticked. I get mad. Like, like, I'm in a school project with a group and it's not going how I want to, so I say, you know what? I got it, fine, I'll take care of it. Or we've planned a nice Sunday away and it rains and somebody gets sick. And what do I do? I get mad. This is not meekness. It takes strength to be weak, to wait on the Lord and his provision, his timing, his way. Number two, uh, a meek person is one who's not defensive. When you're criticized, what do you do? Quick to push back and say, no, 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 I don't know, or or tell me more. Maybe there's something I've got to learn. How easily do you admit you're wrong when you're wrong? Do you the one that goes to the other and says, hey, you know what, I, I messed up? Or do you wait for them to come to you? Meekness is power under control. Power used God's way to forgive, to repair, to be the first to say, I was wrong. Meekness also is assertive, though. It is not conflict avoidant. Sometimes meek and quiet get put together uh, falsely, but let's be clear here. If you're being quiet in order to protect yourself, to avoid difficulty, to, because you don't want someone mad at you, this is weakness and cowardly. This is not waiting on God. This is avoiding what's uncomfortable. If you don't have a sense of who you are, that your identity is rooted in who God says you are, as one who's loved, one in whom he delights. Without that, you can't be meek. You're a spineless doormat, essentially. It's gonna go along with whatever, just to avoid, just to be able to keep things comfortable. Jesus is meek, but he is not spineless. Jesus is the one who uh, upset the apple cart by flipping the tables in the temple and getting the money changers out of there. Jesus is the one who stood up to his mother and his brothers who said, you should be doing these kind of things. It should look like this. And he's like, no, no, no. 
I'm gonna do the things that my father told me to do. I'm gonna say the things that my father told me to say and nothing more. Jesus is the one who pushed up against the high priests and all those religious authorities out there and said, no, I'm, I'm staying on this path, this one only. Jesus had the power on the cross to call down 12 legions of angels to end the lives of all those that were beating him and ridiculing him, but he didn't. In meekness, in power under control, power directed by the Father's direction to him, he stayed on that cross for you and for me to empower us, to forgive us. Someone who's meek also is one who is approachable. Who wouldn't love a friend that's not easily offended? One who you know if you mess up, you're gonna be forgiven. No one who you know they won't retaliate. One who, like, like a horse that's been broken, is under the power and control. A person who is like a soothing medicine in your life, who comes in not like a hurricane, but like a gentle breeze that calms. They are just so safe. And we regularly go to people like this. They're called therapists, and they're good, and we should have them in our lives. We talk to them because they're someone who won't explode, who won't retaliate, who won't belittle, but will help. What a blessing if we could be that kind of presence in the world. If, if the Christian church was known as those who are one I can come to about anything, and they'll be like a gentle breeze and not a hurricane. You have power like this. The power of God that, that enables you, that, 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 that because he rose from the grave, that, and that power now lives in you. And the last one is that someone who is meek is merciful. Someone who doesn't hold grudges. I'd asked before, and I didn't answer the question, uh, how did Moses learn this? Because he didn't necessarily grow, learn this growing up. In a word, I'd say mercy. He knew how much God had forgiven him, and so he forgave. He prayed, and he aimed to serve with the power that he had at his disposal. If this is to be us in our lives, we adopt the words of Paul, I am the chief of all sinners, or with the words I've used earlier on in this series, I'm a complete mess, and there's nothing I can do about it. The, the, we'd say things like this, and then friends, I'll tell you, this is true about me. If you knew the full story of who's talking to you, all the deep corners and dark secrets, you wouldn't stand in this room. You might just want to leave right now. Because I got nothing to brag about, except that God has forgiven me, and he loves me, even so. So how can I not have mercy if someone stabs me in the back? knowing all the mercy that I have received and knowing my own propensity that have given the opportunity I might put two in their back. So how do we get there? How do we get to this life of in increasing meekness? So it's two things, and we'll wrap up here. Number one, awareness. Just to ask the questions. Am I living in these ways? Am I impatient or defensive? Am I domineering or a doormat? Am I difficult to approach or unforgiving? If you want to catch those, feel free to snap a picture of the slide. I'll leave it up for a sec. For the world doesn't need religious people. Because if we stay unaware, 
We'll continue living like we're tremendous Christians, but actually we're just being religious. Not religious people, but people changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what changes the world. That's what, uh, if we reflect his values and his characters, particularly meekness, this is what has an impact. And secondly, this, it's, it's a mercy thing. Live in the experience of Jesus' meekness and love for you. You can't be meek because you will it in your head. It flows out of who you are, so let God transform you. In just a little bit, we're gonna come to communion. We're gonna invite you to come forward. Realize it's the Lord that invites you forward. It's the Lord that says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, me who gives to you in this meal. For I am meek and humble of heart. Live in this experience of Jesus' meekness and love for you. Let it flow in and fill you. Many don't want to, because either because we don't see that we need it or we feel so bad about ourselves that we aren't willing to have it. Either way, let go of those things, have the courage to let him come in. If we don't let it flow in, then you won't be filled, and you can't give away what you don't have, so let him give to you so you can give away what he has. And then like a horse... It's incredibly powerful, yet even more gentle. You can be guided by God to be a force for good, to die to how you could use power so that instead you'd use it how he desires, to welcome welcome more into the ranks of the meek, the ones who, only by God's mercy, will inherit the earth. Amen? Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.